Thank you very much indeed. Uh, well, it's a great pleasure to welcome Roger Michel, who, as you well know, is the director of Harley Granville Barker's Waste, which I guess some of you will be probably seeing later this evening. Um, Roger's directed many plays at the National, including Blue Orange and The Homecoming. Uh, he directed a remarkable play about Granville Barker himself, I remember, called, uh, what was it? Farewell to the Theatre at, mm, at Hampstead Theatre. The yeah. um, he's worked extensively at the RSC, the Royal Court, the Donmar, directed many fine films, Venus, Enduring Love, and the iconic Notting Hill. And of course, he's now tackled Waste, which is Granville Barker's play about a politician, Henry Trebell, who wants to introduce a bill to disestablish the Church of England, but finds himself at the heart of a sexual scandal. And I suppose the first question I would like to ask, Roger, is... Did you feel now, this moment, was a particularly good time to revive this particular play? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, when, I, when I came to... It was Tessa, Tessa and Rufus, who in those days were running, were just about to take over the National. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to come along with two or three plays that I'd like to direct here, and Waste was one of them. And I think we all felt, the world felt, that we were about to have in this year, or the year that's just gone, an election that would result in a hung parliament. Now, of course, that's not what happened at all, but we all expected a hung parliament. And this play is, is in some ways, uh, in the same world. It's, it's, a, it's about, it's just, a set, just before an election when the Tories are about to come back into power. However, when we started casting and rehearsing the play, it seemed to sort of reverse itself into even more sort of uh, context with the modern world because of Corbyn. Corbyn, who's, the, who's this wonderful, some would say, I mean, today he's in the middle of a, of a massive reshuffle, I know, but certainly when, when he was uh, campaigning to run the Labour Party and when he took over the, 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 the leadership initially, uh, one, could, one could suggest that Corbyn brought a kind of fabulous, uh, hopeful naivety to the job, which was very much uh, in tune with um, the character of Trebell um, in, in this play. I'm not sure how many of you have already seen the play or know the play, but I'm going to assume that you don't know the play and won't spoil the play for you if, you, if you're going to go and see it this evening. But it does centre around a kind of irredeemably um, optimistic uh, man who takes on a massive uh, ideological challenge yes. uh, in, a, in a way that Corbyn seemed and seems to be doing. I mean, I'd like to come on to the politics uh, in a moment, but I'd just like to talk about the play and the text for a start. It seems to be, uh, if you choose to direct Waste, it's a bit like an opera director doing Verdi's Don Carlos, you know, where there are lots of alternative versions. And you're faced with the fact there's a 1906 version, isn't there, the original? And then Graham yeah. Barker revises it, doesn't he, in 1927. So did you, from the start, sort of about mixing the two? Um, I initially thought that I would only use the later version, right. 1926 version. And I had long conversations with my friend Sam West, who directed the play successfully at the Almeida, um, I think in 2007. And he said, yes, the, 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 the 26 version is, that's the one. Don't, uh -huh. don't worry about the early one. It's, it's very, very obtuse. It's, it's impenetrable. It's difficult. And so it wasn't until a couple of months before we started rehearsing that I thought, well, I better have a look at this earlier version of the play, um, and found that it had all kinds of treasures in it that I found irresistible. And so combined, I, th I think, uh, delicately and uh, sensitively, I hope, 
combined uh, these two versions and in the process um, just thinned out some of the prolixity. It's a, it's a play that's famous for its wordiness and I think that um, sometimes there are more words in it than one would, than mm -hmm. one needs. And so I, I took out, having done a sort of word count on my computer, I discovered that I'd taken out about 5% of the words. Uh, the page count is about the same, but about 5% about a sort of liposuction of, of, of the actual words came out. So there were just sort of fragments of the 1906 version now, the, or the early version? I, mean, you, you, it's, I think it's, it's more, probably more than fragments, more but, fragments. There, but there are some elements of the 1906 version which I was very surprised he abandoned. Right, right. And I, I, you know, I wrestled with the appropriateness of, of tinkering with, with, you know, with a dead writer's work in this way, but then I thought, well, people do that with Shakespeare and with other texts all the time, and these texts are both extant and they'll both live, um, they're both published, and, you know, and, I, and I wanted to show the play off in, in the way that I thought was in its, in its very, very best light. You referred a moment ago to the, what was it, the fabulous hopeful naivety of Trebel, which yes. is a lovely phrase. Um, it's also a play, isn't it, that lives up to its title, Waste, in that it is about, isn't it? Waste, barrenness, sterility, and that mm. can apply, can it not, to both politics and to private life? I mean, that's the theme, isn't it, that runs through the action of the play? It, it is, yes, and, and it is very much, as you say, a play where private... Um, private agony, if you like, is reflected in public function. Um, there, are, there are two, there's probably no secret to reveal that there's, there's an abortion in the play, which um, arguably is why the censor bans the play in 1906. Um, but there are, there, are two there are two dead babies in the play. One is a bill for the disestablishment of the Church of England, and the other is a child um, who dies during a botched abortion. Um, and I think that the, the play charts these parallel public and personal journeys until they, in the end, they, they actually collide. Yes, yes. It's also a play about power. Now, one of, to me, one of the great attractions of it is it's about the process of power. It takes you behind the closed doors, doesn't it? And even though we think we now know a lot more than we did in Granville Barker's day, there's still this fascinating third act. Again, I won't spoil it for those who haven't seen it, but we see the machinations, don't we, of an incoming Tory prime minister. Rather yeah. like, I mean, I presume there are machinations going on today, aren't there, as Corbyn is trying to stitch yes. together a yeah. cabinet, a shadow cabinet, without alienating, uh, you know, all his supporters in the cabinet, shadow cabinet. I mean, again, the, the prime minister in this play is trying to sort of form a cabinet, isn't he? And at the same time, seeing if he can somehow get Trebel inside this cabinet so the bill can go ahead. And yet, it's, and it's also dealing with the sexual scandal. I mean, it's a magnificent scene, that, isn't it? Because it just it's shows almost, how power works. It's almost it? a standalone play, isn't it? Actually? It is, yeah. You could, you could imagine, we were talking earlier about Lambda doing that act on its own and it becoming absolutely self-supporting. Um, it's, it's a really astonishing, it's one of these sort of original smoke-filled room scenes. Absolutely. You know, it predates the corridors of power by 50 years. But you feel, you feel its accuracy and you feel it's, um, it's totally, totally recognisable. It smells real. It smells like it's very similar to what would be going on in, in Corbyn's office as we speak. Yes. Um, and yet it's not satirical. That's what's so wonderful about it. The play isn't a satire. It's, um, we, we know that um, 
Granville Barker knew personally that there were at least three prime ministers. He, 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 he was very familiar with the world of high politics. And so this depiction of, um, of, of the machine, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, which, which eventually steamrollers you know, one of the characters, feels accurate and human, as well as being strangely sickening. I mean, obviously, we, we are very familiar with politicians uh, surrounded by sexual scandal. It's almost a sort of weekly occurrence, isn't it, actually? So that, that aspect of the play is very familiar to us. I'd like to go back to what you said a moment ago, though, about you know, you, what the resonances that you saw between Trebel and contemporary mm. politicians. I mean, I wondered how strong those resonances really are, because Trebel seems to me uh, an example, a classic example of the total rampant idealist, isn't mm -hmm. he? The man who has a passion for a particular piece of legislation and who sacrifices everything, people to the cause. And I thought we live in an age when politicians are much more pragmatic. Uh, we have a Prime Minister, Cameron, who seems to me to put, you know, pragmatism before, before everything. Before everything, yes, exactly. And who has, yeah. to me, a little shred of ideological fervour about him. Um, is that good or bad? Do you find that an attractive lack? In, oh, in, well, in now we're into, well, I don't know. I mean, I would rather have... Oh, we're into tricky territory here. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, I think if, if you regard politics purely as a profession, you know, and a job, which yeah. you do, and he said, you know, I think I'd be rather good at being prime minister. It seems to me you demean the office in the end, and I would rather have politicians who have some degree of fervour. But all I'm mm. saying is Trebel's form of idealism doesn't seem to be all that common today, or does it? I don't know. Well, that's a very, very interesting point. When I was starting to rehearse the play, I obviously wanted to bring real politics into the rehearsal room. And so I asked a couple of politicians to come and give their their view on the play. And because the central character is this, um, is this non-conservative MP, he's an independent MP, who is invited to join the cabinet and bring, propel through this, this uh, what at the time and in the, in the world of the play, enormously radical bill to disestablish the church and the state. Um, and, and this man is then sort of wrecked by the realpolitik I thought the ideal person to ask is Nick Clegg. Um, and? Nick Clegg didn't even reply to the email. <laughs> however, however, I mean, Nick Clegg was also interested in disestablishing the church. Interestingly, yes. that was still part of his... And interested in theatre, actually, too. He's, yeah. you know, he's, not, he's not detached from theatre. I think he appeared in the Sam Mendes production at Cambridge. A, a, a uh, Beckett Cambridge. player yeah, Cambridge, yeah. yeah. So, so my, second, my second choice or, or, um, uh, was um, Neil Kinnock who um, is, a, again, a, very much a man of theatre, knows a lot about theatre, loves the theatre, and was very happy to not only come and talk to us, but he'd actually done a lot of work on the play. He thought a lot about the play. And he came in and he said, uh, this is a marvellous, brilliant play, and the most repugnant, uh, disgraceful character in the whole play is the central character, mm -hmm. is, is the ideologue. And we all went, ooh, ah, what on earth do you mean by that? And he says, because I despise ideologues in politics. They only have to make one decision in their whole political life. Mm -hmm. They never have to compromise, and they never get anything done as a result. He thought, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of squeezing his, his, his words together, but he thought that politics was all about finding artful and creative ways of getting change. Mm -hmm. And he didn't think that that was achieved by 
having a strong opinion and simply sticking to it through thick and through thin. How much was that because he confronted Mrs Thatcher for much of his career, do you think? I don't, I don't think Thatcher was at the top of his list. Ah. Who of, do you think of, was? Well, there were people, other people within his own party. Oh, I see. <laughs> right. who, um, who I think gave him more grief than, than Thatcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think, you know, you could probably talk about Derek Hatton, for example. Yes, yes. yes. But I think he would probably also talk about Tony Benn. Yeah. And so that, for me, was a startling sort of way into mm-hmm. um, understanding politics and, and in a way, sort of a, a new way of looking at this play. I don't think uh, Harley Granville Barker, however, shares Kinnock's view of his central character. Well, because Trebella, I think, is a tragic character, isn't yeah, he, rather he than is. a despicable character, yeah. because it seems to me that he is a man of enormous passion, but the passion is channeled into one area only, isn't it, actually? It's, it, he's, yes, that's right. He's, he's very complicated. He's dysfunctional in many ways. Yes. Um, he's extremely functional in, 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 in some ways. And I think that he, is, he isn't simply a heroic character, though. I think he's judged in, in, in some measure by the events of the play. But the, the play ends in such a way that it feels incontrovertible that, that Barker um, is sympathetic to that, what I believe is probably some version of Barker, well, who is ah, um, on the, uh, being I was going to lead on to that, because I've, I've often wondered this, how much Trebel is a version of Barker himself? Because Barker was a man, as we all know, who campaigned, didn't he, ferociously, for, amongst other things, for this institution, the National Theatre. Yeah. Uh, he campaigned against censorship. He poured a lot of his energy, didn't he, hmm. into public causes, and had this rather strange private life, didn't he? And then, as we all know, gave up uh, theatre practice. As far as I know, had no children either. And I just wondered how much... How much you think there is of Barker in Trebel? Well, this, this, was, this play was written by a very young Barker, of course. He, was, yes. he, was, he, was, he wasn't even 30 when he, when he wrote this play, miraculously. And he, he had this big life change, didn't he? The, second, the First World War arrived, and that was really the end of his, his writing career. Um, during the war, he went to America, mm-hmm. as, as shown in the play that you mentioned by Richard Nelson, that I directed at Hampstead. He married a very, very rich um, American widow and um, really stopped directing. Yeah, exactly. Stopped directing, stopped writing, um, became um, a sort of lord of the manor, lived in a vast house in Devon with liveried servants, etc., etc. Put a hyphen into his name. Yes. Bewilderingly. Um, and then sort of wrote prefaces. That's right, prefaces to Shakespeare, brilliant yes. prefaces to Shakespeare. So he's he's enigmatic as a, as a, as a man. I, I don't feel I know him, and I think that there's something uh, unknown about Trebel, which um, makes me think there's bound to be a link between their personalities. Yeah, I mean, he was astonishingly brilliant, wasn't he? In his Ooh. in his youth, he ran the Royal Court. He was an actor, director, writer. I mean, he changed the face of British theatre. You know, Richard Ayres done a very good programme note, hasn't he, about the same subject. I mean, yeah. he was an inspirational figure. But, but at the same time, from what little I've read about his life, there seems to me a vacancy somewhere in the, in the private life. And that's why I've often thought Trebel is an extension of Granville Barker. I think that's, I think that's a, 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 good, a good assumption. Can we just talk a bit, bit about the process of putting on the play? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see, I understand, I totally share your love of the play itself. I think it's a magnificent play. Um, how does it on stage? Because it, it's not an easy play, is it? Because it's got a large number of characters and it has a number of different settings. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you well, Hildegard Beckland designed this wonderful set. Um, 
which I mean, you can talk about. How much was she designing according to your brief, or did she come to you with an, a sort of visual idea for the play? We, we came, we, we did this together. I mean, we sat and talked. We started in January, I think, mm -hmm. a year ago, starting to decide what the play needed, what the play had to have simply to function, mm -hmm. i.e. how many chairs, how many tables, how many doors. Mm -hmm. And really my desire was to find out how, how little uh, else you needed to supply to the play to make a, what I think is an incredibly beautiful but fluid and abstract environment for the action of the play to be uh, as clear as possible and as... Um, I mean, you're right, it is quite a difficult play. The, the first scene is quite hard because there are eight or nine characters who you're meeting for the first time. And for the most of the first scene, they're talking about characters who are off stage. Yes. They're not talking about each other. They're talking about people you haven't met yet. So I found it a little bit like directing uh, an Agatha Christie. You know, you, wa you wanted every character to have such a clean and immediate outline um, that you could latch onto them and recognize them and then recognize them again when they reappear. And that's the other odd and brilliant and such a modern thing about the play, and the play feels very modern, is that it's, so, it's told so elliptically. The story is told in four acts and there are sort of quite large time jumps, or quite precise time jumps between each act. And it takes you the beginning of each successive act a few minutes just to catch up with what's happened in the intervening weeks or months. And it's told with such uh, Chekhovian grace and elegance and modern. It feels very much a play set in the modern world, far, far more than Shaw, uh, as a result, to me anyway. That comparison with Shaw always comes up, doesn't it, with Granville Barker? Mm. Um, and I mean, they're always played off against each other, you know, because they were contemporaries, they were friends, they were rivals, etc. Um, I mean, each seems to me to have qualities lacking the other. I mean, Granville Barker has this, I think, much greater sexual awareness, does he not, than Shaw? Uh, Granville Barker seems post-Freudian, doesn't he? Whereas yes. Shaw doesn't seem to give a damn about that. He's interested in intellectual ideas. Yes. I mean, crudely speaking. Yes. Yeah. But I think Shaw, would you concede Shaw has a musicality, instinctive musicality in his speech rhythms, which Granville Barker doesn't. Granville Barker's style of dialogue is much more elliptical, as you said. Or much more um, pre-Pinter in a oh. way that he seems to be alive to interruptions, to, um, to the kind of um, casualness of everyday talk that yes. we are now used to, yes. whereas uh, Shaw was much more rehearsed. Just going back to the set, I mean, it, yeah. it, it, we can get a sort of an idea, a vague idea, can't we, because it's behind us. You know, it, it's based on these huge sort of uh, white... Uh, shapes, monumental yes. shapes, isn't yes. it, actually, which slide mm. sleekly backwards and forwards in the course of the evening. So the idea was not to have a sort of hyper-realism. Is that what you're saying, really? That's absolutely right. To give it a how, kind of... How do, how do you avoid having a set with anti-macassas yes, and sofas right. yes. and then have to do the same thing all over again? You know, you have to do the next set with a, yes. a load more but different anti-macassas and sofas. So uh, I think it's partly also because... As you, as you mentioned in your introduction, I, I work in film quite a lot. I've, I've no interest really in naturalistic settings in theatre. And so that's, that's really, uh, over the last 15 years, I've discovered that the last thing I want to see in the theatre, in my own productions anyway, uh -huh. are detailed attempts at naturalism. Because that's because the problem that's of, of that's cinema and television. Cinema. You're, right. you're kind of forced into that in, in, in cinema. And um, 
the theatre is somewhere where you can escape from that and you can be more lyrical and you can be more, in a way, I think, more beautiful. And, um, Does it not depend on the kind of play you're doing? Sure. I mean, obviously, that the style suits this play. If you were doing a Chekhov play, though, say you might want rather more in the way of furniture or detail or background. Possibly, yes. Possibly. <laughs> but probably not if I was directing it. I'd no. probably, um, probably find a way to avoid that. So you're saying your aesthetic in theatre is, is towards spareness and uh, clearing the stage rather than occupying the space. Yes, to yeah. do with finding a way of focusing as precisely as possible upon the actor and the, and the character and the story mm -hmm. and not um, making that about the detail of you know, a, a table leg or uh, vast sets covered in incredibly beautiful detail. I, mean, I was just asking you before we came on about you know, your future project. You said your next project is a film. I mean, is, is that part of the pleasure of your directorial career? You, know, you, you have moved, haven't you, with great sort of ease, it would seem, or rapidity, but from mm -hmm. one medium to another. Is that, is that a, a plan? Um, well, I came to film quite late. I mean, I'd been directing theatre for about 15 years before I started doing film. And I suppose the thing is that when you're doing one, you always wish you were doing the other, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of... Uh, uh, but they do refresh each other, and they do, um, I think, complement each other. But they're, they're, they're very different and the same, in, in an odd way. How do you mean? Uh, well, they're the same in that you're telling stories through actors and scripts. Mm -hmm. But they're very different in that, in that the kind of uh, toolbox that you have in each, in each instance is very, very, you know, utterly different. But also, you, I mean, the, you, the degree of control is different, isn't it? Because obviously in the cinema, you know, you are totally in control. Mm. In the theatre, you, I mean, you will come tonight to see your own production, won't you? Yes, um, yes, I, and I heard you yes. say to one of the actors, yes. I should, perhaps I shouldn't repeat this, but you said you, 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 look, you look for the improvements. I'm looking know? forward to seeing the improvements, yes. is what I said. Yes. So in other words, you know, I mean, in the interim, the actors will have, to some extent, taken over the play, will they not? Well, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I mean, I think that, that it, it, you know, I think it's, it's any production that's pretty thoroughly rehearsed, the, yes. the, uh, the nuances are going to be enhanced by a run. I, but I, I'm not expecting to come and see something at odds with what we'd... Uh, I'm sure you would what No, I'm prepared. sure. Yeah. But all I'm asking, I suppose, in an indirect way, in a polite way, is whether in the theatre you sort of miss the control, the total control, which you can exercise in a film. Well, not... No, I mean, I don't... Mm, I don't think so, no. I mean, it's just a, such, a, such a different process in that in, in the theatre you're preparing actors to do very complicated things over the course of like two and a half hours yes. continually, yes. you know, without a break. And, and that involves all kinds of muscles which aren't necessarily even there in film actors. With film actors, you're encouraging actors to, you know, a, a, a appear to be utterly real for 20 seconds mm -hmm. at a time. Yes. And your job is to sort of try and bottle the, that moment, that, that fake spontaneity. Yes. You want to kind of grab it. Whereas in theatre, you're preparing for a much more complicated thing, which is uh, appearing to be spontaneous over a very, very long period of time. Yes. Every night. Yes. Just going back once more to the process of this particular production, we talked about, you know, you're introducing uh, Neil Kinnock, asking Neil Kinnock to come and talk. I mean, did you and the actors, did you and the company have quite detailed discussions about politics of the day because this was when you were rehearsing you would be rehearsing in the autumn wouldn't you I presume yes so you know the political scene was constantly mm. changing yeah. wasn't it mm. in that time in other words did did doing the play activate everyone's interest in politics very much so yes very much so <laughs> yeah when you talk about what was going on 
yeah, we talked about what was going on. We also collectively um, did as much research as we could on the period in which the play was written, mm -hmm. um, in which the play was first performed, et cetera, et cetera. So, for example, uh, the thorny issue of uh, disestablishment, uh, which is a, a, a complicated and, and, and difficult uh, concept, the idea of separating the church and the state, um, and is in the, in the play, I think, is sort of explains itself very well as being um, a radical way of really improving the educational prospects right. for you know, hundreds of thousands of young people. Right. So we had to find our way into understanding exactly how that, how that reflected uh, the reality of the situation. And how do you do that? I mean, by research? By well, I, got, well, I know a man who knows a lot about it, uh -huh. who came in and talked to us about it. Um, and we did research, and we would read things to each other, mm -hmm. and we would uh, set aside a certain part of each uh, rehearsal week to collect, you know, sit as a group, and mm -hmm. uh, people would bring different things to the table, and we'd, we'd, we'd assemble our knowledge as, as, a, as a collective. Uh, right, so, yes, I see. And did, you, and did you bring other people in the Neil Kinnock, or was he the only sort of guest you had? No, I brought in uh, Colin Chambers, who came yes, in and talked yeah. to us about the various editions of Waste and about Harley Grenville Barker. He's a, he's, a, he's a bit of a specialist. And I brought in uh, a man from the Archbishop of Canterbury's office who was brilliant and explained to us the complexities of, um, and the history of <coughs> disestablishment. I mean, when he, wrote, when he wrote the play in 1906, the Church of Wales was being disestablished. So it was a much sort of hotter potato right. than it is, right. it is now. Um, it was a much more uh, current debate, and it was um, much more in prospect, I guess, that there would be an attempt to do the same thing in England, although we have the complexities of the, of the monarch's um, role in the Church of England, etc. So bl blame Henry VIII. Yes, yeah. um, but last thing, I mean, you talked about, you know, the political uh, and religious sort of background to the play. I mean, is that one of the fascinations of directing well, not only plays for the stage, but films and television, that each project is a kind of research project in a it way. Is, you're, yes. you're being taken into a new area of life. That's exactly you? right. It is. It's a, it's a project. It's a sort of incredibly privileged tourism of yeah. the brain. Uh, making a film or doing a play like this, you become briefly uh, a specialist in that period, in that right. subject. Um, so when you were doing, say, Blue Orange, I mean, yes. that opened up, I presume, lines of inquiry into medical practice, care yes. in the community, and of course. things like that. Yeah, yeah, of course. So every, every project you do, for you, yeah. is what? It's a pri it, private research area. It is. And you have to start from scratch as though you know nothing about it, and you usually do know very little about it. Uh -huh. And um, you enthuse your company to go out into the world and bring, bring their experience of the world into the room so that everyone can learn, we, we can learn collectively. Yes. And all of us become briefly specialists in the subject of our, of our work. Is that one of the satisfactions of directing for you? It is, yes. It's, it, it means that everything is totally different. Every project is, is uh, totally different and everything is um, a, a, new, a new challenge to understand the world, I suppose. Why do you direct? A sort, of, a, a sort of restless curiosity about the world, ah, I suppose. Yeah, that's and, about, and about people. That's very good. Yeah. Restless curiosity. Yeah. Very good. I'm very grateful to Roger Michel for answering my questions, and I hope if you're going to the play this evening, you will enjoy it as much as I certainly did. It's a great evening, so thank you very much. Thank you, Roger. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thanks.